0: Welcome to Ask a Pastor podcast. So this is the first time we're doing this and we are trying something new, which is just simply responding to questions that people have either asked over time or have asked directly uh, of us here at Orchard Hill. Uh, We hope that if you're from Orchard Hill, you find this beneficial. And if Orchard Hill is something you never heard of, never thought of, that you'd still find this beneficial. And so today I'm joined by Dr. Terry Thomas, who is a longtime friend, uh, is a pastor, uh, he's a professor at Geneva College of New Testament, teaches um, students the Bible all the time, so he's really smart, knows the Bible, he's really fun. Okay, slow down. And uh, all such things. <laughs> and we're just simply going to have a conversation today around some questions that have been asked, and hopefully you'll find this beneficial. And the topics really today that we're going to talk about are, we're going to talk about a little bit about the Old Testament God and the New Testament God a little bit around some of our sexual identity questions that we hear today, and then some questions around politics. And so, uh, Terry, uh, one of the questions I hear frequently from people, and and I've heard in, in a variety of ways, is it seems like the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are different. The Old Testament God is angry, the Old Testament God is judgmental. Uh, the Old Testament God is homophobic, d- different things like that. The New Testament God is the God of grace. Mm-hmm. And that's even led me to hear some people say, well, why do we even need the Old Testament? Why not just read the New Testament? Don't we get everything we need from the New Testament? So so as a seasoned Bible professor, uh, how would you help us understand
1: uh, that? I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people who, whether they do it uh, consciously or not, in other words, you... A lot of times you can just be all in the New Testament and just sort of forget about the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you've made a conscious decision not to read the Old Testament, but you figure it does have everything I need in the New Testament, so why would I ever need that? So I I think it's a good question. I think it's one that people ought to consider even if they haven't consciously thought through that because I think it's a temptation sometimes. I'd say the first thing I'd say is what you would say about any book in a sense. You know, would you pick up, a, somebody told you it was, this was a great book to read. You went to the library and you got it out and you took it home and you started in the middle, <laughs> you know, and you read it to the end. Now, granted, you'd get the ending. You'd figure out kind of maybe who the main characters were. You know, after a while, be like watching a TV show that you didn't see the first 35 minutes of and when they introduced everybody. you still probably figure it out in some ways. But I don't think anybody would go do that. I don't think anybody would open a book and start in the middle of it and read it. Why would you take what people consider perhaps the greatest book mm. in the history of the world mm. and treat it like that, you know, where you would start in the middle and then you would, you know, read it to the end? Uh, I think another thing is, is that uh, if you were to do that, if you were to more emphasize, you thought, oh, the important information, the stuff I need to know about God and what he's like is mostly contained in the New Testament or more clearly or something like that, um, I think, you would, uh, I think you would be doing a great disservice to yourself in terms of reading as well. Some of the most significant things that set up our understanding of what God is like are found in the Old Testament. Uh, and it, to, to recognize that... G-
0: give us an example. I, like, What's something that we see that we, is so rooted in the Old Testament that we wouldn't get it without it?
1: Well, it, until, you, until you sort of deal with the issue of the creation of God as being a creator, Hmm. and what that means, all the different things that that means in terms of his control over reality, his decisions to make things connected to each other, his, you know, the plan he has for the creation as a whole. You can't see how a little part of that, like yourself, fits into it. In other words, I, I think the very identity of human beings is grounded in them being made in the image of God and that being part of a plan that God has for the creation which is rooted in the beginning of the Old Testament. Hmm. So I don't think you can understand who you were, where you are, what the plan was in the big picture without starting in the Old Testament in that way. Uh, I, I think too that the, the Bible talks about, uh, especially if you're thinking about the way Jesus talks about the Bible, he says that the Old Testament is revelation from God. Oftentimes he'll say, well, the Lord said or something like that. And then he'll quote some mm-hmm. passage from the Old Testament. So, uh, again, it's, not, it's like this. If you got a letter from God, if you, you, know, you went down to the mailbox and picked up, oh, the letter from God here today, would you say, well, I'm only going to read the second half of it? Mm-hmm. You'd read it all. You'd say, hey, if this is information from God, if this is God revealing himself, if it's some way that he wants me to understand what the world's all about and my place in it and what he's like and mm-hmm. so forth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for all. By the way, it, Jesus only had the Old Testament. Yeah. You know? yeah. uh, so when he talks about the scriptures or when the New Testament says all scripture is inspired by God, like it says in 2 Timothy, it's talking mostly about the Old Testament at that point.
0: now what about when somebody says okay but I maybe I get that like I should read the whole book but I don't really like the visions of God that I encounter in the Old Testament maybe they don't say it in that many words but they basically say you know here he's smiting people and destroying nations and you know brimstone and fire coming down from heaven no. I like the, the baby in a manger and, you know, all that kind of imagery. What would your, your reaction be to that?
1: Well, again, I, I think what we want to say is we want to say, hey, listen, let's uh, make sure we understand we're talking about what God is really like. Okay. And I think what uh, oftentimes God does with the, the, the kind of like, Highly focused experience, first with the patriarchs and then with the nation of Israel, you know before it 's opened up to all mankind in the sense that the gospels opened up, is that he 's trying to really be clear about his nature of what he 's like, and one of the things he 's like is he 's holy, hmm. you know he 's different, he 's dependable, he 's trustworthy, he 's good, and he wants those people made in his image to be reflected like that. and the, the Old Testament, I think, to a great degree. Has a lot of stories in it that maybe people feel uncomfortable hmm. with, partly because maybe they get a little too close to home for what we're really like. Right. You know, there's a lot of stories about you know pe- people try to make people into heroes, so to speak, because they're in the Bible. When in fact, they're they're terribly uh, messy people, as we used to say here. <laughs> you know, I mean, and they and it's it's hard to do. So I think maybe that, that idea that somehow the 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 God revealing Himself as being. A god who is holy who requires a holiness from people he he desires to see them be good and to reflect what he's like and so he shows them what he's like and then uh does he say show his displeasure when they when they don't mm-hmm. act like that sure and justly so because that's what he's like too he's right. a just god who uh if it's, you know i i think that's important too that we understand I, I, you can't you can't say this you'd have to say which which is more ghastly in a certain sense some of the, you know, the punishment that God puts on his people when they show their disobedience or a punishment that he puts on his own son right. when he's not disobedient. Yeah. Uh, that's harsh. That's hard yeah. to look at, you know? And yet that's the, that's the essence of grace. It's God working out that, that holiness and that demand for justice and so forth in a way that it can be yeah. supplied for us. And, It's in a harsh way upon Jesus.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I found really most helpful on that is uh, Miroslav Volf's uh, idea that that this idea of a non-judgmental God is an idea that really thrives in Western safe suburban communities Mm -hmm. because in. Eastern communities or in communities that have been torn by war, the idea that God will actually deal with people in justice is very soothing and that it's really the safety of our suburban world that gives us that thought. So, so Terry, thank you for that. Um, let, let's transition to a sa- second topic. Uh, and so you're a college I professor. I, could oh, okay. I, right. go go I it, one more thing. okay, all right, go ahead, hit it thing. up. All right, uh,
1: I, I always find it interesting that in the New Testament, uh when the when Jesus talks about the old testament and the god who reveals himself in the old testament um or one of the writers of the of the new testament talks about it, they have a, high, a very high reverence for it you know yeah. uh and they, they like they talk about it. they talk about it as inspired word of god they talk about it as revelation from god they talk about it, the lord said mm-hmm. they and uh you know i think of that passage in uh uh, in Luke 24, you know, when Jesus after the resurrection is on the road to Emmaus and he's with this, a couple that's, that's going down they, and he, he, they don't know who he is he's kind of keeping his identity from them, you know, he's the resurrected Jesus and they, they express their disappointment with the way life's going kind of right now yeah. You know, they don't, un- they don't understand what's happened. We, we thought this Jesus was the Messiah. We thought he would redeem Israel. We, and now, you know, they killed him, you know. And we, we heard stories he was resurrected. But, you know, we don't know what to believe, you know, and so forth. And Jesus says to them, Well how, how slow you are to believe, you know, to know what the truth really is. And then it says this, he, he opened up the scriptures to him. And he said, didn't, didn't the Son of Man have to experience all this in order to enter into his glory? And he, he apparently did some kind of Old Testament Bible study mm. to show them that their faith, which was rooted in the New Testament, you know, uh, for them, their yeah. New Testament experience of Jesus being there was to be understood in the context of what was being promised and what was to come yeah. so that they could recognize it when they saw it. You know? yeah. Matter of fact, I, I always get a kick out of this, what mm. it must have been like for Jesus. He, he's on the road with them and they're explaining, he says, uh, he, he, he kind of acts like he doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, well, you know, we're kind of, they say we're kind of disappointed about everything that's happened in Jerusalem this week. You know, Jesus says, like what? And they look at him and say, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going <laughs> yeah. on? When in fact, he yeah. was the only one he who He was the only one who really knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good, so, one of those irony twists. So you have, I think you have that, you know, you have even that the, in the midst of the New Testament story you know, the meaning of it, in a sense, the, right. the, the focus of it is seen by seeing it prefigured and hinted at and shown in the nature of God and his activities to move towards redemption yeah. and to us. Oh, that's good.
0: Well, um, as a college professor, I'm sure you get a lot of um, different perspectives. As students come in, they start saying, you know what, is the way that things have traditionally been understood the right way to think about this? Sure. And one of the the topics that seems to be um, gaining steam and a question that we've had is, is how should a person of faith understand sexual identity, especially around people who are now saying, I'm transgender or I'm bisexual, and I feel like it's how God made me, even though biologically, some would say my body is different, internally I feel that this is who I am. Um, how, how would you respond to that in four minutes or less? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. And, uh, <laughs> or roughly speaking on the time, but but uh, g- give us some idea of how you here's three how you things. put those categories together.
1: Here's three or four things that I always I always do I try to do in those conversations. Okay. Okay. Uh, the first thing is I try not to act in some kind of shocked or uh, you know, kind of judgmental, oh, my good, you know, something mm-hmm. like that, uh, to make sure that people feel comfortable to be able to talk yeah. uh, about what it is. Because I think these are, these are issues that are at the core of their identity, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, now, they're not the core of their identity, though. Mm-hmm. That, that's the point I try to get to. Yep. I try to say, listen, sexuality is part of our identity, everybody's identity. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you, you think you're gay or you're heterosexual or you're bi or trans or whatever, you know. That's part of our identity. It's not the heart of our identity. It's not the center of our identity. It's an issue related to our identity. Uh, and I think what happens if we, have, if we deal with the more central question of who am I? Or as I, I try to say, whose am I? You know, Who do I belong to? How, how am I going to allow my life to be interpreted? Who's going to have the the mm-hmm. ability to have a say as to whether I, again, whether I like it or not, right. who's going to have the ability to have say. I and mean, there's a lot of things about my life in terms of other aspects of my identity that uh, I might not like, but I surrender them to mm-hmm. God because I say, you know best, but you know better mm-hmm. than me. I, I'm going to trust you on this. I don't know why I don't feel, I don't get it, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, I may want to hate people or I may want to punch my, you know, my brother, you know, or I, but I don't. And I say, I'd like to, you know, and it, feel, it would feel good, you know, but I don't do it because I, I think that's trying to adr- address more centrally that particular aspect of my identity right. from my core identity. So I, I, I would say first you want to make people feel comfortable. You don't want to make them feel like somehow by – approaching any subject that this is going to be a So subject's okay to talk about. Subject's okay to talk about.
0: What you feel is what you feel. Let's own it. Let's talk about it. Let's have an honest conversation. And
1: and then, secondly, that this issue about identity. Sexuality is not the core of your identity. It's simply an aspect of your identity. Now, the question is uh, what are we to think about this? And by the way, the proliferation of, of, you know, Qualifiers and right. descriptions about people's sexuality are just super. I saw a list that had fifty-some mm-hmm. different letters and combinations and terms. Uh, and I, I tell you the truth, I, I and I'd read a little bit about this. Half of them, I ha- had no idea what they were right. referring to. Yeah, it's not know. like you're unaware of, no, yeah. uh,
0: of what those categories are, yeah, right?
1: Right. So, uh, so what? What I would say to people is this: This is a your sexuality is a super complex thing. In relationship to your life, there are so many things that influence and that affect it that are both, you know, what we might call environmental. You know, these mm-hmm. they're kind of like uh, situation-oriented mm-hmm. in your own life, historical experiences, and, so, and and there are biological things that mm-hmm. are influenced in you. Uh, the The issue is not so much whether God has made me this way or not, but that I say this is the way I feel about it. This is, this is, this is mm-hmm. what I'm gonna think about it. Mm-hmm. I feel this way, I recognize this. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to approve it or disapprove it by the fact of saying God made me or didn't make me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, we're, we're not always certain about what all the conditions are or circumstances do. But we recognize that God gets to define what good sexuality is for mm-hmm. us because that's at our core who we are if we're Christians. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think you were right in saying we live in a world that is dominated by uh, you know things like uh, other worldviews other than the Christian worldview, mm-hmm. you know a kind of um, scientific naturalism you know which basically says you know we're you know we're animals so to speak, you know that are just advanced, and our sexuality is just you know one way of expressing ourselves, or or maybe a kind of uh, individual expressivism you know of some kind of that kind of notion that i i should be free totally free to express myself in any way that i want to so i think there are impinging kind of interpretations yeah. of our sexuality absolutely that are trying to say hey w- this one here can make you feel better about what you're doing here this one here can make you feel better about this one here would ma- make you feel bad about what you're doing mm-hmm. so don't take those look at these over here right. and that's why i think it's not always a question of it, it, it's not that it's not influenced. Your sexuality isn't influenced by biological or environmental type issues. It's just that's not the core of the issue. Always, it's about a matter of interpretation. It's hmm. how you're going to do it. And I think at that point we we see that the Bible talks pretty clearly about the context of our sexuality, you know, and, and what's what seems to be appropriate. And it always puts it in the context of a heterosexual marriage covenant. Hmm. Uh, and so, to the extent that we can. If, we, if we're willing to surrender to that, if we're willing to say, okay, this is what the Bible says, then I'd say, let's work backwards now. If it's who we are, this is what the Bible says, we're going to surrender this. What are we going to do about the way we live our lives? How are we going to live that out? And that's where it's hard, I think. I mm-hmm. think that's where it's difficult to suggest to people because uh, it's like anything else. They, they feel out of sync with the way, th- and, you know, because they're being told that continuously.
0: So what wisdom would you give to somebody who whether it's, um, whatever is bringing this to the surface for them feels like I'm a woman trapped in a man's body or I'm a man trapped in a woman's body and I need to give expression to who I feel I really am rather than who, you know, biology or society has said I am based on, on how, how I was born.
1: Well, uh, I, I would say it's like anything else. You, you don't want to deny that that's your that's your experience you know you don't want to somehow be in denial about that experience but i think you want to be in a situation where you seek support from people that are going to try to help you to live what we would consider to be from a christian worldview a more healthy sexual lifestyle you know uh you know i I was i was reading a passage in in thessalonians first thessalonians 4 talking about uh about avoiding uh sexual immorality and then right after it says everybody should take control or learn mm. how to take control over their own body. Mm. You know, and I, I'd say that's what you need to learn to do. You got to yeah. take control over your own body. And then as you do it, you say, and who do I surrender it to? Well, that Romans 12 passage is pretty clear. Yeah. I offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice to God. Those things that are holy and acceptable to him. Well, what does he expect about my yeah. sexuality? I offer up. I think it's hard, though. I think you need to surround yourself with people who Understand you are supportive of you, they aren't going to be judgmental of you. Uh, I I do think there's a lot more that we have to learn about. I think that the conversation has to go a lot deeper and broader. Uh, there have been a lot of books written, written yeah. lately that I, I think would be helpful to help people understand this. How how to talk about those things with people too. I think the difficulty is is that more and more it's one thing if you're it's one thing if you're 30 mm-hmm. and you're doing this. It. So it's another thing if you're Thirteen, mm. and you're doing. Well,
0: this. Why so? What's different?
1: Well, because it seems to me that you you've had more life experience. You're more mature. You see the. You can think through things more. You're this one here. You know, you you have some measure of identity development, oppo- opposite uh, right. simply your sexuality. You know, not just exclusive to that. Yet yeah, back here, here you don't. Your identity is still in its freshest of formation forms, and so you're most. And, and for most American, you know, teenagers at that point. I think you're most susceptible to external forces influencing you rather than your own internal commitments right
0: third third topic um and this is uh we only have just a couple moments left but um and probably is worth a lot more exploration than we'll give it here but one of the things that that we've been asked is it seems like people are getting increasingly polarized around politics and Certainly I can see that where there are some people who feel like uh, the Trump administration is the embodiment of evil and should be called out by the church and others who feel like Trump is the ambassador of God himself uh, and should be defended or promoted within the church. Uh, how, how do you um, help people who are feeling polarized to either side of that equation um, kind of uh, regain some some perspective?
1: Well, uh again it, it's a matter of approach to some degree you know i uh we were talking before us about the uh, the passage in uh in first peter i believe it was mm-hmm. uh, you know about um about how you should always be prepared to give a defense of your faith you know and uh and but then right after it says that it says but do it with gentleness and kindness mm. okay now, uh, Richard Mao, you know, famous evangelical theologian, president, ex-president of uh, Fuller Seminary out there, you know, he, um, he wrote a book called Common Decency, you know, and in it, he argues for what he calls uh, convictional civility. He says, he says, you should be prepared to to talk about, to have convictions that you can demonstrate as to why it is that you think any particular point of view about, whether it's about theology or whether it's about politics or whether it's about social life. You should have some, uh, you're allowed to have convictions and you should be prepared to talk about them in principle, by principle and so forth. He says, but whenever you do it, you always got to do it with gentleness and kindness. Mm -hmm. You're not going to, if you jumped on somebody's throat. And we we have gone to the utter polarization, almost you know, yeah. of uh, every topic. You know, the ad hominem arguments. You just mention somebody's name, associate them with this. You don't have yeah. to have an argument. Right. You don't have to have a talk about the issue. You just discredit them, you know, yeah. by using some kind of label or something like that. And I think that's the that's the dilemma, you know, uh, not not really having grounded principles, not really having de- developed some sense of. You know, for Christians, what what should the state be? You know, what Mm -hmm. are the limits that should be put upon the state? You know, what are uh, uh, some of the requirements that it has in in front of it? And uh, you know, and I I think that those things, if they were talked about a little more clearly uh, and a little more generally, uh, that would really help diffuse that. But even Mm -hmm. then, I still think because people are like anything, if you're if you get convinced of something, you have some you know, energy yeah, some and some, skin in the game on it. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna so, you're gonna approach me. And it's tough it's tough to say, okay, well control yourself. Right. You know, to,
0: yeah, and certainly on on that issue it's hard to not bring passion. And I don't think the the church would ever say you shouldn't bring passion, but to always uh, be able to at least hear what people on the other side say. Um, and make sure that, that, that rather than simply defending a personality or attacking a personality, that we're dealing at the principal level.
1: I think too, I think if you you know the other passage in James, you know, where it says, you should be you know, slow to speak and quick to listen, yeah. you know? And if you enter into a conversation with somebody that you disagree with, and even if it's, you're diametrically opposed in principle to what it is that they say, if you show them that you're listening to what they say, yeah. that you're trying to make sure that you understand what they say, the, the, the anxiety level yep. just drops down, right down, and they're able to meet you a little more in the middle, I think always you right. know, when that's the case.
0: Well, Terry, thank you for joining us today. And if you have questions, send them to askapastor uh, at orchardhillchurch.com, and we'll try to answer them in future episodes.
1: Nicely, nicely done,
0: Terry. Sure.